ready for the reading of the word? Here we go. We have a lot of scripture. As you know, we're, we're trying to get through the entire book of 1 Corinthians and, and not having it as a Bible study really makes us uh, cover a lot of ground on Sunday morning. So if you'd stand for the reading and the honoring of God's word, um, we are now in chapter 12. Uh, last week we covered chapters 9, 10, and 11. Uh, today we're going to cover chapters 12, uh, 13, and 14, a very interesting part of the book. As, as we'll begin to read, you'll, you'll see why it's interesting. Um, <clears throat> I, I think um, it's probably, probably a little bit more interesting than chapters uh, uh, 5, 6, 7, and 8, which have to deal with lawsuits and, and sexual relationships and marriage. Um, <clears throat> Was that interesting to you? Did y'all enjoy Pastor Gilbert's um, presentation on that, his sermon delivery? Um, and so, to me, these, those two issues, right, the relational issue and, um, and here we have the spiritual gift issues that's going on in the church. Oh, a lot of scripture. It's okay to read scripture to you, right? Because, I mean, that's why we're here, to study the Bible, right? So... Um, I am going to read from three different chapters, and, um, and so here we go. Are you ready? Thank you. Chapter 12, verse 1 says, now, about the gifts of the Spirit. Yeah, that's an interesting word, now, right? As in he's, he's, he's now getting to a topic that, that they had uh, discussed before. And so he says, now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Another, another translation uses the word um, ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't, I don't want you to be, lack knowledge about the gifts of the Spirit. He says, you know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Now, that word, don't let that word mute just distract you. It just simply means uh, images that do not speak or, or cannot perform miracles is what Paul's saying. In other words, it's a dumb idol. Um, he says, therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of services, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. The key word there is same. No, he says, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The common good meaning the church, the people that, that are gathering. It says, to one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. There's that word again. To another by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the, the one spirit. To another miraculous powers, to another prophecies, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another seeking, excuse me, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to, excuse me, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit. You think he's trying to prove a point here? And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. That's very important. He, meaning the Holy Spirit, not God and not Jesus, but the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit determines this. 
right? That's what Paul's saying. He's saying to the church. And he's like, it's all the same spirit. You have so many different varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. So there are, so there should be no division in the body. But, excuse me, I'm jumping to verse 25 here in chapter 12. He's, and we start in the middle of a sentence. And he says, so there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, then every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. Someone say amen. Like you're the body. If one part suffers, the whole body should suffer. That's what Paul's saying. Now chapter 13, he says, in verse 4, it says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrong, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. There are four things that love does, it, it protects, it trusts, it hopes, and it perseveres. And you continue in verse 13, it says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of this of these is love. Now in chapter 14, verse 1, it says, follow the way of love and eagerly desires the desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather you have prophecy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. And verse 6 says, now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will it be to you unless... I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or words of instruction. In verse 26 in the same chapter, he says, What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when we come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation or a tongue or an interpretation? He says, everything must be done so that church may be built up. Do you remember from last week's sermon, this is a test, that phrase built up, do you remember what it's connected to? Anybody? I'll take you to, oh, I'll take you to lunch. Who said love? Oh, you don't count. My, my, Terry, my assistant, you read my sermons. Um, <clears throat> do you remember when Paul said in, in, in uh, Corinthians 8, he said, knowledge puffs up while love Builds up, right? That little phrase, if you, if you pay attention to it and you read Corinthians again, you'll see how he uses it a lot, especially towards the latter parts of the, of the book. He says, that so that the church may be built up, the church may operate in love. He says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or the most three should speak at, excuse me, one at a time, and someone must interpret if there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. 
And he ends in verse 39 and 40. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and in an orderly way. My goodness, there's so much to cover. A lot of ground. But you can see how Paul is moving from the gifts of the Spirit to love to order of service, right? And, um, and I might... I might make a lot of Pentecostals mad today, uh, those of you that really enjoy speaking in tongues. Um, but uh, we're, we're just going to take it right from Scripture, right? You can't, you can't throw eggs or tomatoes at me because you don't have any. But uh, we're going to do our best to see what, what the Lord says concerning our, our order of worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our opportunity to come and learn. We thank you, Lord, for your word. God, as Paul would say, he would rather us prophesy. He would rather us speak uh, strengthening and encouraging and comforting words to one another. Sing songs together, Lord God. He would want us to have an orderly service as your word would instruct. And God, that we would be a church that functions the way Paul would instruct the church of Corinth. God, that no one would seek glory for themselves, that we would point all glory and honor to you. God, we thank you. We pray for, for revelation. We pray for uh, an anointing, um, Lord God, as we deliver uh, the, the sermon. God, I pray that, that, that we would do as Jesus said. Let everyone that has an ear hear what the Spirit of the Lord says. God, each of us today is going to hear a, a, a word from you. We're believing it. In your holy name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, high five your neighbor and say, conduct is essential. Come on, tell them conduct is essential. Um, have, have, you ever, have you ever been to a social gathering where a major faux pas has, has occurred? Have you? I, I, it's quite embarrassing, you know. Um, it, it creates an uncomfortable atmosphere. If you're not sure what a faux pas is, it's just, it just means a, 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 a behavior in public that is not respectable, right, or should not happen and it's 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 just a french uh, phrase meaning meaning don't do it <laughs> you know so for example i've i've officiated tons of weddings in 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 my tenure as a pastor and and i've had i've had the privilege to see beautiful weddings and i've had the, the not so uh, honor to to see weddings kind of crumble and, and, and not go the way the bride would have it to go. And you can always tell when someone in the wedding party messes up because the look on the bride's face says it all. It's like, my goodness, we practiced this a hundred times. What is wrong with you, Cynthia? Why can't you get it in March, right? It's like, it's like you can see it. But there's nothing more embarrassing when the groom forgets to write his vows. Right, you get to the point where it's now the exchanging of vows, and and especially in today's modern wedding, uh, most people don't want to go to the traditional vows. Uh, you know, as 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 many of you have heard before, and um, they want to write their own vows. They want to be romantic, and they want to express how they feel about their 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 future uh, life with with the, the the woman of their choice. And um, there's nothing quite awkward when um, the groom reaches for his, his little cheat sheet and uh, there's nothing that comes out of the pocket. 
and he's standing there. And, you know, and all, all the witnesses, you know, there's a lot of pressure because, you know, most people don't like public speaking. And on top of that, to have to share how you feel, my goodness, it's just, if you've never experienced one of those, I hope you don't because it's just a very awkward moment. And, you, and, and everyone has, they, they play out their own movie, like, what is, what is his wife going to do uh, when they're alone? Like, what is she going to tell him? I would like to be a fly on the wall to hear what her response is when it came time to, to talk about the exchanging of vows. Um, it's embarrassing. It happens. Or it's like, a, it's like you've watched an argument uh, between a, a mother and a daughter at a social gathering. And, you know, everything's normal. Everyone's, you know, they're getting along. And all of a sudden, in the background, you hear voices rise. And you turn and you look, and it's like, it's like the mom and the daughter are just going at it. And you're like, do we need to leave? It's a social faux pas. It's, 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 it's things that shouldn't happen. And, and, and it's, it's, it's what Paul's addressing here in chapter 12, 13, and 14. He's like, there's things that you're doing in service that's just embarrassing you. There are things that you're doing in service that you should not be doing. I remember my first introduction to a Pentecostal service. Um, I was about... 16 years of age, not raised in church, uh, at least not in a Pentecostal setting, uh, understood what church is. Everyone knows what church is, right? But um, you really don't understand the dynamics of each church until you've kind of lived in it for some bit. I remember my first Pentecostal service, and, um, and, and it, it just, it was, it was wacky to say the least. You know, I, I've, when you're raised in the late 80s, early 90s, you can imagine what Pentecostalism was like back then, right? A lot of charismatic uh, behavior. Uh, what I mean by that is like people speaking in tongues, right? And dancing and running up and down the aisle and people rolling on the floor and jumping pews. It's like, it's like if, if that stuff didn't happen in church, you really didn't have church. That's kind of my experience, my exposure to it. And it, it was... Um, for me, I'm, I'm an introvert, so I was, I, was, I was taken back by it. I was like, my goodness, I don't know if I want to be, uh, if I want to go to that church again. Because the words that I associate with that church is weird, right? That's the word that I use. It's weird. I feel uncomfortable. I feel like, I feel like an outsider if I'm not participating the way they are responding to whatever's happening in the service. It's kind of what Paul's saying. In fact, it's exactly what he's saying. Let me, let me read something to you from, from the 11th chapter. It's like the 11th chapter sets up chapter uh, 12, 13, and 14. He says this in the 17th verse. He says, he says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. He's like, you're not doing this good. Right? It's like when you turn in your assignment and the teacher red pins it. And it's like, oh, my goodness, I thought I did much better than this. And it's like, no, you didn't. There's no praise for you. He says, for your meetings do more harm than good. You need to pay attention to that. He says, your meetings, your gatherings, in other words, your church service, they do more harm than they do good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe this. And, and Paul He's now setting up what he's about to say, why their meetings aren't so good. And in chapter 14, he really hones in on their abuse of speaking in tongues. 
He says you come together and you have all this, this charismatic, you know, expression, manifestations of the Spirit's gifts. They're all present. But he says they don't do good. Is it possible that we could actually have the Spirit's presence and it not do good? I don't know. But Paul, is, he's, he's making a point here. I know for me, my own experience, I, I can't say that the Spirit wasn't present, but I can say that my experience to a Pentecostal church was a little awkward. And, and it was by the grace of God that I continued to come. It wasn't because of what I experienced. It was, it was, just, it was just an awkward moment. See, the church had great potential. And, and they allowed their differences, right, to create division among themselves. And, and if there's one thing that we can learn from the church in Corinth is that it's okay to have differences, but it's not okay to fight and separate ourselves from the church. So, so it seems like that's a disconnect to where we're talking about spiritual things, but it's not because you had a group of people that just didn't, didn't function the way most of the people in, in church were functioning. And, let's, let's, and they called it spiritual. Let's be spiritual. And we're going to speak in tongues. And we're going, to, we're going to have the manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit. And you had some people that just didn't get with that. Didn't make sense to them. And so there's these differences. You have a group of people that say, yes, let's do this. Then you have another group of people that say, well, let's, let's not quite act that way. Let's be a little bit more reverent. Let's be a little bit more introverted. Right? So, so you almost say, well, man, that's, that's the Presbyterians and the Baptists. Right? Well, those Pentecostals, man, we want to we wanna express ourselves. So Paul's like, there's differences. But, and, and it's okay to have differences. It's okay to be that way. But we shouldn't allow our differences to separate us from the body of Christ. We, we shouldn't. We should allow the, the differences to, to manifest themselves and still love one another. The apostle's heart for the unchurched is, is seen throughout this letter. So, so here, here's, here's what I'm, I'm going to present to you, and I'll do my best to really support it with, with, with Scripture. I'm going to present what I feel um, Paul is really talking about here in, in the three chapters that we cover, is that everything's about the unchurch. Everything's about people that come to your service that do not know God or does not know God. Do you remember in chapter 8 when he says, I will become a slave so that I can win as many as possible. I'll become the weak to the weak. I'll become a Jew to the Jew. I'll become the lawless to the lawless. I'll become the law to the law. I'll do anything I must do so that I can win as many as possible. That's his heart. His heart is evangelism. His heart is so that people would know the gospel. You, you see that same heart in the church of Rome in the ninth and 10th chapter of Romans. He says, listen, how will they know unless someone tells them? How can, they, how can they be told unless someone is sent, right? That's the idea of Paul's heart. It's like, listen, people have to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And if we are acting silly in our church, if we're acting nonsensical in our church, then, then how are the unchurched going to feel about that? 
How are they going to feel? We, as a church, must take the attitude of Paul and say in our hearts that we will become whatever we need to become so that we can win as many as possible. You see, the idea is that, is that we not forget that our gatherings, our church services, are not just for us. They're not just for our children. But they're for the unchurched. They're for the people who might walk through the, through the front doors who haven't darkened the church's doors in, in a decade. And imagine, imagine showing up to a place that you have one perception of and then you, have, you, you see all this wild stuff going on and you're like, is that church? Weird. You see, everything we do is not just for us and our spiritual growth, but it's also for the unchurched. Our conduct is essential. How we behave with one another is critical. How we treat one another, how we worship together, how the, 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 the service as a whole is functioning and operating is so critical. Our conduct is so important to the unchurched. I don't think we realize how important it is. I don't think we realize how important it is to have someone at the front door greeting with a smile. Can you imagine walking up to a place that you haven't been to in a while and all you've heard is, man, you just, just go to that church, man. They're friendly. They're friendly. But it could be the one day that you're just off. It could be the one day that you drove in a in a car uh, with, with a fighting spouse or a nagging children and you're just, you're just off. And your duty today is to be the, the, the greeter. Your duty today is to, is to welcome people uh, as they walk in through the front door. And, and, and all, you, all, all you can produce is a face that looks like you've been eating a lemon for the last 24 hours. That's it. That's all you can produce. There's nothing in you that's going to smile. And even when you try to smile, it's a fake smile because it's not genuine, right? Imagine being the first person that the people that are coming today meet, and that's your attitude. Our conduct is essential. Everything we do. Imagine that you are a mother of two little kids and you go to our children's wing and you walk into the children's wing and the children's wing is just full of kids. It's full of life, right? Which it should be. It should be full of life. But there's not enough adult supervision because all the adults want to be in the service and none of them want to volunteer and work with children because they don't think that it's important to take care of our children. And so this first guest, first time here, single mom, or maybe it's a married couple, don't know, but they have little kids and they need to go to the nursery and the nursery is not adequately prepared. Do you think we've affected their outcome of the church? Absolutely. Absolutely, because conduct is essential. 
Paul's point is, listen, if we don't come together and if we don't work together, if we don't get unified, then we're going to be responsible for people who do not stay in the service or who who do not even make it through to the service because the other part of, of our responsibility has fallen short. We, we as a church, we are responsible. Y- y'all look like you don't want to hear this. You see, service elements are so critical to seeing people saved. We don't think about it. To the volume of our sound, to the way the people sing and worship, to, to even the pastor's presentation. Like you're like, all oh, this is part of, of, of coming to church and, and making sure that that people are receiving what they need to receive from the gospel? Absolutely. Absolutely. Smile at me. Tell me, tell me it's okay. Tell me like you get it. You, don't, you haven't thought about it in a while, but you get it, right? I tell the staff all the time, I say, listen, listen, the first sermon that's ever preached, it's, 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 the, it's, it's the drive-through, the moment someone drives up. So some people who, are in a, who, are in a, who don't have attention to detail, it's no big deal, right? Because we're all different and we should respect the differences in each other. But people who are attention to detail, they'll drive up and if the yard's not mowed right, they're like, ooh, okay. Right? The trees aren't trimmed right. Like, hmm, wonder who lives here. Right? Like a sermon has you, a sermon has you, words haven't even been spoken, but how many of you know a thousand things have been spoken? Right? So when you walk up, and this is your home church, if you call Laredo First Assembly your home church, you walk up and you walk past trash and uh, you don't pick it up, guess who might walk past that trash? First-time guests. They're like, hmm, I know who lives here. Children who don't want to pick up after themselves. <laughs> Y'all are quiet. They're like, what does this have to do with spirituality? Everything. Everything. It has everything to do with it. Listen, we value people, and we are intentional about how we present the gospel. We value every person from the nursery to the nursery. You'll get it. It'll hit you later. We, we, we value them. And if we don't value them, then it should be our hearts, and we should be praying to the Lord, God, bring value in my heart for people. Help me have this value for people. The care level is so essential. And, and if the care level is not in the service, then, then we make it uncomfortable for people to participate and listen and hear the gospel. You see, it's not about how loud you like the music or how soft you like the music. It's about honoring and worshiping God. It's not about whether you want to work in nursery or you don't want to work in nursery. It's about us coming together to honor the Lord as servants of the kingdom. It's not whether you want to answer or, or welcome people at the front door or not welcome them or teach a life group or not teach a life group. It's about every one of us understanding that our conduct is so critical to someone getting saved. Are you, are you getting this? Like we have to participate together. He's like, I, I, I want your services to be better. 
but, but I can't give you any praise in this area because, because your gatherings are doing more harm than they are good, right? In their day, they were breaking the Lord's bread in a, in a very unworthy manner. They, they were eating and having supper together, which was very appropriate in the church, but they were getting drunk in church, which is interesting because they were drinking wine, but Paul's like, he doesn't address the fact that they were drinking alcohol. He addressed the fact that they got drunk in church. He's like, some of you are just, you're just indulging yourself and you're feeding yourself and you're not caring about the poor. You're not caring about others. You're making them feel bad. And then on top of that, you're getting drunk and you're breaking the Lord's bread. He's like, your services are more harmful than they are good. And church, listen, we need to be the church that is good for people to come and visit and hear about the, the, their, their hope, their eternal hope in Jesus Christ. And so he transitions to spiritual gifts. He's like, he's like, listen, we have all these spiritual gifts happening. We have gift of wisdom and gift of knowledge. We have prophecy. We have miraculous things happening. All this stuff is happening. He says, that's great, but if you don't have love, you don't have nothing. And the fact that they couldn't treat each other with respect, the fact that they couldn't honor one another was showing that they didn't have love for each other. And so Paul pins this wonderful creed of love. And he's like, he's like, love is patient and it is kind and, it is rude and it's not rude and it's, you know, it's not self-seeking and it doesn't dishonor others. And he's like, this is what love does. And you're doing the very opposite of love. You're very self-seeking. You're carnal. You're fleshly. You have all these, all these gifts that you want to operate in, but yet you don't have love. Church, we need to learn from this. We need to learn that, that it's our responsibility together to be unified, to work with the Holy Spirit. It's a collaboration that you and the Holy Spirit work together, that, that you be obedient to the Holy Spirit to function in spiritual gifts, to move in the Spirit. But at the same time, with, 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 with the unchurched, the, the, the unbeliever, the unsaved, whatever, whatever adjective you want to use for someone who is not in a relationship with Jesus Christ, at the same time that we're functioning in the spiritual gifts that, that, God, that the Holy Spirit gives us, at the forefront of our thoughts is how does this look to the unchurch? How does this look to someone that does not know God? There are three things I want to talk about in the next 10 minutes. The first thing is, is unity in our differences, which comes from chapter 12. He, he talks about all the, all the spiritual gifts that, that, that are functioning in the church but the same spirit. Now let me give you some little theological background on this. There's, there, there's, and I'm going to try to cover it as much as possible. Um, you, you, when you get a group of, of, of people, when, and I'm going to call these people Baptists, right? And I'm going to call these people Pentecostals. And they, they're kind of the closest group of people, right, um, that, that fellowship together. But there's, there's a distinction between the Baptists and the Pentecostals. And one of the distinctions is that the speaking in tongues. Now, the Baptists believe that speaking in tongues is not for today anymore. It's, it's, it's a mainline Baptist thought that, that, you know, the Baptist brother and sister just aren't going to believe in speaking in tongues. Well, Pentecostals, we believe different. We believe that speaking in tongues is for today. We know it happened. We know it's a spiritual gift. Paul calls it a spiritual gift. He says speaking in tongues is a spiritual gift. 
We know that it's real. We know that when someone speaks in tongues, he doesn't speak to man, but he speaks to God. He speaks mysteries from the Spirit. We know that speaking in tongues is not something that man made up. It's something that comes from the Holy Spirit. You see it on the day of Pentecost. It's the same, it's the same Greek word that they use, tongues, and, and, and acts in tongues in, in 1 Corinthians. And so the elephant in the room is often those people speaking tongues. So Baptist, Baptist people and Pentecostals, we love it, right? We, we love to just show off and we love to like be in a worship service and we like, to, we like to just flex a little bit, right? And so when we know like our Baptist brothers and sisters are among us, like we, we almost do it almost to, to, to an extent where it's like we want to speak in tongues. We want them to be filled with the Spirit. So I'm going to speak in tongues so they can hear and they know that it's today and it's real and, and, and the Holy Spirit wants to give it to them, right? That's kind of our... Our attitude, you might say, no, it's not my attitude, but trust me, it, 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 it bleeds. And that's why our Baptist brothers and sisters get nervous when they're like, oh, we're going to go to a Pentecostal church and worship. Like, oh, my gosh. Like, I already know what's going to happen. Right? They have, this, they have this perception of us. Which if you come to our church, we're Pentecostals, but we don't, we don't function that way because your pastor doesn't function that way. Right? I'm very, I'm very Pentecostal. I do speak in tongues, and I speak in tongues uh, uh, when I pray. But I, I would reserve that prayer language, and, and I'd rather, I rather control and, 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 and conduct myself in a way that's not going to be offensive to the unchurch. It's just, just, just me. And you can see it's the culture around here, right? Like we, but we don't turn away. Like if someone wants to get radical and, and, and they want to they move in the spirit, well, let's move in the spirit. Let's do it. I believe in divine healing. I believe in prophecy. I believe in, in all the gifts of the spirit. But when we get our Baptist brothers and sisters together, I'm talking about a universal unity here. There's, there's, this, there's this theological phrase called sensationalism, right? And cessationism, it, it, it's, it's, this, it's this, this, this teaching that says that... Spiritual gifts died at the, at the time that the apostles died. So when the apostles died, spiritual gifts, especially speaking in tongues, has pretty much died away. Right? And, and most of your people that, that believe that are reformers, you know, Presbyterians, Lutherans, those kind of church gatherings. And then there's the, the pushback to, to that is continualism or continuism, right? And continuism is, is a Christian theological belief that, that says the gifts didn't die. And speaking in tongues is for today. And so I think it's important that as a church that we understand these two ideas that, that really um, separate a large group of people. Cessationism is, is the idea that, you know what, I I don't want to speak in tongues. I don't think that's for today. I know the Bible taught it, but it just died with the apostles. And continuism is like, no, it, it continued and it moves forward. And, and so these two theological thoughts are very important for us because, because LFA, we, we will adhere to the doctrine of continuism. We believe that speaking in tongues is for today. We believe that, that the gifts of the Spirit is for today. We believe that divine healing happens today. Miraculous things happen from the works of the Holy Spirit. We believe that and we teach that and we operate that way in, in, in our church. We're just not, we're just not the, the, the real radical, charismatic expression of it. We believe it. We preach it. We practice it. 
But you won't, you won't see a weirdness at Elephant. You just, you just won't. I, I like to shut things down a little bit when it gets, it gets a, little, a little more self-centered than God-centered. I'll be like, Pastor Greg, he's, he's the spiritual bouncer in the house. I'm like, see that person? Go talk to him. Let's find out what's going on. Like, is this for God or is it for them? <laughs> My Pentecostals are like, oh, he's making me mad. You know? And these, these theological thought, thoughts, they come, from, they come from about the 15th, 16th century. I don't know if you've ever heard of a, of a man named John Calvin. He's a French lawyer who, who, who now the theology for the Reformers is called Calvinism. And, and so Calvin believed that, that the gifts, in the spe- especially speaking in tongues and the prophecy, had ceased. And it died with the, with the um, apostles. We have this, this man, this Dutch uh, theologian named Jacob Arminius, and he says, no, it didn't. And he builds on the back of Luther, and, and he continues the idea and, and, uh, of that the spiritual gifts are for today and the speaking in tongues is for today. And, and, and the people that really took that theological idea and ran with it, you might know them. They're, they're, they're just a crazy, crazy uh, brothers named Wesley, you know. And, um, and the Wesley brothers, they, they are the ones who started the, the Presbyterian church. And, um, <clears throat> and so they, um, they believed it. And they ran with it. And you see the practice today. Actually, um, the Assemblies of God is, is birthed out of that movement. So why is that important for us? Well, it's important because I, I want us to know that, that on a universal level for church, we can, we can be very different in, our, in, in our, uh, some of our doctrine, but we still have to be unified. We still have to be unified. And here, here's, here's what's important for me as your pastor that, that you understand and you know is that, is that the doctrine of salvation is the one that is non-negotiable. And what that means is, is that when someone gets saved, the only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. It's the only way. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, right? He's the resurrection. And we know this. And our, brother, our, our Reformed brothers believe this. And they teach this. And they, they teach a lot of the same doctrine that we teach. And, and, and we teach a lot of the same doctrine that they teach. But when it comes to speaking in tongues, that's kind of like where the differences is, right? And it's, it just boggles my mind that for centuries, in the 16th century, and it even happened when, when the church of Corinth was going on in, in 53 AD, right? It like there was this division. Do we speak in tongues or don't we speak in tongues? And Paul's like, listen, you shouldn't let these, these differences divide you. And somehow we have allowed it to divide us for centuries, but I'm here to tell you as a church today, we should not let these differences divide us. Maybe you came to our church and you're not recognizing that it is a, it is a, 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 a Pentecostal church that we believe in speaking in tongues. And you're like, well, that's not what it, what's for me. I really don't think that or believe that. Listen, hang out a little bit. Hang out a little bit. Let the Holy Spirit work in your heart. And, and see what happens. You shouldn't let your differences 
divide you or, or, or separate you from the church. We need to think differently than our, our brothers and sisters in the past. We need to be able to, to, to adhere to what Paul is saying and saying, listen, you can, have, you can have these spiritual experiences and you might not be ready for it completely, but don't separate yourself. Be unified. Come together. And when you come together, the Holy Spirit can work through you, right? And he, and he tells them, he says, listen, there's different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There's different kinds of services, but the same spirit. There's different kinds of workings. And all of them and everyone, it is the same God at work. The same spirit that, that, that's saving our Baptist brothers and sisters. Same spirit is saving us. Same spirit is saving the reformers. The same spirit that, that professes or the people who profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The same spirit lives in them. We're no better, they're no better. We are the body of Christ is what, is what Paul is saying. And so I'm here to tell you that, that whether you speak in tongues or not, and you're like, I haven't received that spiritual gift, I've prayed for it, but I haven't spoken tongues. Listen, it's okay. Don't, don't think yourself any less. Don't think yourself that, that, that the Spirit of God doesn't live in you. Because maybe, maybe you have the gifts of healing. And you've been praying for people and they get healed. And the person who speaks in tongues doesn't have the gift of healing. They shouldn't feel any different because when you pray for people, they get healed. And the one who speaks in tongues, does, they pray for people and they don't get healed. Or maybe you have the gift of knowledge or wisdom. It, what Paul's saying is, listen, whatever gift you have, it's the same spirit that runs in every one of us. That's what makes us the body of Christ. Whatever gift you have. And he continues, he says it in Ephesians. He says, listen, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble, gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as we are all called to one hope. And when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You see, there's unity in differences. There's unity in differences. It's okay to be different. It's okay that you're an introvert or you're an extrovert. It's okay that, 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 you, that you see the world through different lenses. That's okay. How many of you know that there's great beauty in diversity? There's beauty in it, and there's greater beauty in unity, that the diverse people come together and we can actually be unified to accomplish the work of our Savior. Instead of fighting about doctrines, instead of fighting about what I believe or what you believe or how we think the church should be run or not run, listen, if we would hone in and we would say, listen, our goal, our goal is to Become whatever people need so we can save as many as possible. That's our goal. And the Spirit will give us the gifts that we need in order to accomplish said goal. Have you ever read Psalms 133? If you've never read it, I'm going to read it to you today. It's, it's, it's a very short psalm, but it is an amazing psalm. It's powerful. I want you to read this with me. As, as, as uh, David wrote, he says, How good and pleasant 
is it when God's people live in unity? It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. Now, if you don't know who Aaron is, Aaron is, is, is the helper of Moses, right? And he's the, he's the high priest at the time. And so listen, this is what he says in verse 3. He says, it is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, where the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. It's beautiful. It is a beautiful psalm that David writes concerning the unity of God's people. I want, you, I want you to see the spiritual density in it. On the surface, it's like, oh, yeah, kumbaya, let's come together and build a bonfire and let's just uh, be in unity and let's, 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 let's work together. <laughs> that, that's, that's part of it, but it's not all of it. When he says, when he says it is, it, how good and pleasant is it when God's people live together in unity, Right? Exclamation point. He's like, he's like shouting this because if you get this in your spirit, if you get it in your character, you'll understand the dynamic that a church can have. He says it is like precious oil poured on the head. Listen, the only time that oil was poured on the head is when, is when anointing happens. When anointing happens. So on the surface, it's like, yeah, let's come together and be unified. But in the spiritual realm, if we could be a church that's unified despite of our differences, in, instead of how we think or feel and the worldviews that we have, if we would just come together and say, Jesus Christ is going to be at the center of our life, and no matter what happens, no matter how we, how we come out of this war, right, because we're in a spiritual war, that Jesus is our Savior, he's our baptizer, he's our healer, he's our soon coming king. No matter what happens, if we unify ourselves together, this is what David says. The anointing comes on that church. The anointing of God comes on those people. You know, some churches, they lack anointing. They lack the power of God because they're so divisive. And they're so, they, 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 all they do is fight amongst each other. And they fight with the leadership. And they fight with, with anyone they can fight with. And, and you're like, you, in your heart, you're like, well, why do you come to church if all you want to do is called strife and division? Well, it's because it's called, it's called flesh. It's called carnality. That's what Paul calls it in the very first chapters of Corinthians. He's like, you're so fleshly. You're so carnal. You're living at your own pride, your own ego, your own greed. Listen, if we can come together, the anointing of God will flow on the church. When that anointing hits, when that anointing hits a church, it, it's, it's contagious. It's, it's what Paul says. He, if you read the second letter to Corinthians, he says it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. It's the anointing that breaks. Are you getting this? In, this? in the first letter, he's saying, if you would learn to unify yourself, if you would learn to love each other the way we're supposed to love each other, there's an anointing that's going to come upon the church. There's an anointing that's going to come upon your life. And when people come in bondage and they come in demon-possessed, they come in sick, they come in needing this, this mental healing, the anointing of the people of God is going to break that yoke. 
if you would just get it in your spirit and stop fighting with one another and say, I'm not saying that we fight. I'm just telling you this is what's happening in the church. And this is what Paul's saying. If you read the second letter, he's like, oh, my goodness, you don't understand. The weapons that you have are not of this world. They're not carnal, but they're mighty for tearing down strongholds. And the only way you're going to get that weapon is when you unify with one another. You come together, as David said, how precious and how pleasant it is when God's people are in unity. It's amazing. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being part of a church like that? Like, like, yeah, I get it. I get it. We mess up and we have all these hiccups and we have our past and we have, we have all this stuff. I get that. But, but you know what? It doesn't, it doesn't diminish who you are. It doesn't take away your salvation. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that you're less in the kingdom of God because the last I read, a righteous man will stumble seven times, but yet he'll get up. There's an anointing on your life. And there's a greater anointing for us to have as a church if we'd come together. Here's, here's the second thought. Out of chapter 13 as we're moving forward. Unity and diversity. Let's, let's put aside our differences, whether you speak in tongues or don't speak in tongues. You know, whether you operate in the gifts of healing or, or, or wisdom and knowledge, it doesn't matter. What matters is this is the same spirit that gives to everyone as he determines. As he determines. So here, here's point number two is, is love is the answer. What, what's going to unify us? What's going to keep us together? What's going to allow us to look at one another's humanity, look at one another's failures, look at one another's history, look at one another's future with each other? You, you know what's going to allow us to overcome that? Is love. It's love. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sin. Whenever we get frustrated with one another, and you can take this into any relationship that you have, whenever you get frustrated with somebody, whenever you're ready to just pull your hair out, your hair out some of you don't have hair anymore, so whenever you're ready to like punch a wall, you know, you're ready to kick a cat or, or whatever it is, you get so frustrated. Please don't kick a cat. You know, that's, that's an old saying, right? You know that, right? All you cat lovers are mad at me. Um, we should remember Paul's love creed. We should remember his creed. He says, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, he says, I'm a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. Imagine that. Imagine being able to speak a language that angels understand that comes to the Holy Spirit. He says, you could do that. You could do it all day long. But if you don't love, you're nothing. You're nothing. You're just, you're just a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. You're annoying is what he's saying. If I have the gift of prophecy and fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a, a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, he says, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body over to the hardship that I may boast but not love, I gain nothing. Love's the answer, people. Love's the answer. Love is patient. It's kind. It's, it, it does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It, is not, it doesn't dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Listen, it keeps no wrong. Love does not delight with evil but rejoices with the truth. And the four things that love does, it protects and it trusts and it hopes and it perseveres. 
Listen, love is the answer. If you ever get yourself in a situation where you cannot contain the, 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 the boiling blood that's inside you and you're like, oh, I need to calm down, let this passage be remembered in your heart. Memorize it because then you'll remember that love is your answer. It doesn't mean that you're going to minimize your situation. It doesn't mean you're going to let it go, right? There's no consequences for it. No, that does not mean that. It just means that you're going to learn how to control yourself. And you're going to allow the Holy Spirit's gifts and the Holy Spirit's fruit to live through you, right? Because the fruit of the Spirit is, is love, kindness, patience, gentleness, right? When you get in that moment, Let's apply it to the church. You get in a moment where you're so frustrated with, with church. You're so frustrated with people. You're so frustrated with pastors. Don't, don't leave. Don't leave. That's not the answer. That's what Paul's trying to teach the church. The answer is not to separate yourself. The answer is to, is to remember love. Love is the answer. The answer is to remember that we can come together and, and in spite of our differences, we can have a heart to heart and we can, we can let the blood of Jesus reconcile us. That's the answer. If God planted you here at LFA, if this is your church, is this where you call home, this is where you're going to grow, this is where your family is going to grow, then, then, then you have to be intentional about that. Are we going to have bad days? Absolutely. Absolutely. Any church that will teach you otherwise is not teaching you right. Listen, we're going to have bad days. But it's okay to have bad days as long as we love. Because love will not let me cross the point where I dishonor you. Love won't let me cross the point where, where I'm, I'm being rude to you. Love won't let me cross the point where I'm boasting and I'm, I'm, I'm hovering over you, my success or, or my victories. Love does not let me do that. Love says I'm going to be patient and I'm going to be kind. I'm not going to envy. Love says I'm going to protect you. I'm going to I'm going to persevere with you. Whatever it is you're going through, I'm going to persevere with you. Love says we're going to hope together. Love says I'm, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. That's what love does. It's hard. I know. I can't do it in my own strength. There, there, there's just no way. You need the spirit of God to do it. You need the Spirit of God to do it. I, I, I'm about to teach you something. These, there's three kinds of love, and, and, and I'm sure there's all kinds of, of um, <clears throat> teachings that you've heard about love. But I, I heard this. I can't remember where I heard it from. But I, it just, as I'm writing, it just, it just came back to my heart. And, and I, I wish I could give credit where credit is due, but I'll tell you, it's, it doesn't originate with me. Um, but there's, there's these three kinds of love, and, and, and the question is, which, which do you have, right? There's this, there's this if kind of love. If you do this, I will love you, right? It's like, if you do what I say, how many of you have ever heard that before? Like, if you do what I say, I will love you. If you meet my expectations, I, I will love you. It's the if kind of love, and, and, and there's, the, there's the because kind of love, right? I love you because you have money, because you're rich, right? 
I love you because you're beautiful or because you're handsome. I, I, I love you because you're kind to me. It's, it's the because kind of love. And then there's the in spite kind of love. And this is how God loves us. He, it's the love that he says, I love you in spite of your failures. I love you in spite of your past. And I, I love you in spite of your weakness. I love you in spite of your rebellion and your lust and your greed and all the things that, 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 that make up humanity, the evil side of us, the wicked side of us. He says, I love you in spite of that. He says, I love you so much that I gave my only begotten son that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. I love you so much that there's nothing that can separate you from my love. There's no high there's no depth, there's no wickedness, there's no demon, there's no angel. Listen, there's nothing on this earth that can separate, separate you from my love. I love you in spite of how you. Because I love you. What kind of love are you functioning in today? Are you functioning the if kind of love? Or the because kind of, listen, God is calling us to be imitators of who he is, Ephesians chapter 5, right? That we're to imitate God as dearly loved children. That everything that God has done, that we're to do. So God has given to the point where he is willing to, to give all that he possessed. And that is all of heaven. That's, that's Jesus Christ, his son, he is given. Can you give that way? Can you give all that you have? And that's why Luke says, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your your soul, all your strength, and all your might. It's that kind of love. Can we love that way? Can we have in spite of kind of love for one another? Because that's what we're supposed to do. I'm going to love you in spite of how you treat me. I'm going to love you in spite of all the things you said bad about me, and I've heard them, right? I'm going to love you in spite of how, how you have, you have, you know, betrayed me. I'm going to love you. Can we do that? Can we say that? It's to love. To love in spite of means to love the way God loves. All you, all you that, that have people under you at work, you're a supervisor, you're a manager, you're, you're their boss, you're the owner. Like, can you love your employee? Can you love them in spite of? Because it doesn't just, it's not just for the church house, but it's for the unsaved. Because if you can love the way God loves, guess what? The possibility of winning as many as possible is now at your fingertips. Here's the third point, and we're done. I said 10 minutes, and I took 15. Oof. And, th and this is the most important. Are you, hey, Mickey Mouse, you ready? His shirt is Mickey Mouse. Yeah. It's like, oh boy, did you read it, oh boy? All I hear, when I see him singing and worshiping, all I hear is Mickey's voice. It's like the oh boy, right, the, the high pitch. Here's, here's the last point. Is, is The first one is unity in our differences. Love is the answer. In, in chapter 14, how it all comes together is understanding is best. Understanding is best. It's like the, the, the climax of Paul's correction concerning their conduct in their meetings. It lands on this chapter here. 
It lands with this, with this, with this topic of speaking in tongues. He's, 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 he, you can see that they were abusing it. It's the one gift that he points out. It's the one gift he brings correction to. They, 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 were, they were misusing the, the, the heavenly language. You see, the reason we speak in tongues is so that we can speak with God. It's the reason we speak in tongues. It's, it's what Paul says. Now, Paul's okay. He's, he says, listen, it's okay to speak in tongues in public, in, 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 in the congregational setting. It's okay. Speak in tongues, but do it in order. And whenever there's a, there's, there's a spoken tongue, right, there, there, he says, he says it would be better if there's interpretation for the tongue so that everyone can, have a, have, can be edified. But if you're going to speak in tongues, just speak in tongues, but do it in order. In order means you're not going to be, <laughs> you're not going to be chaotic with it. He says in, in, in verse 1, he says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. Easily, he says, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. He says, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by their spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. He says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. He wants you to speak in tongues. He says, it would be wonderful if you speak in tongues, but I would rather you have prophecy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I come to you and speak in tongues. Excuse me. If I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will it be to you? Unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction. And he continues in that chapter. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. See, Paul practiced this, he practiced in speaking in tongues. It was part of his life. He spoke in tongues. He says, but in the church, I would rather you speak five intelligent words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Does he, it almost seems it almost seems that we would miss the point. We, we, if, if you're just reading it on the surface, you think, man, Paul's really against tongues, even though he speaks in tongues. But he's not against tongues. In fact, he says, I wish that all of you would speak in tongues. I wish you all would. He, he tells us very clearly that speaking in tongues edifies you. It's for your edification. He tells the church of Rome, he says, when you, when you don't know how to pray, pray in the spirit. And the, spirits, the spirit will make utterance on your behalf. In other words, he knows what to pray on your behalf. You let the spirit pray. The spirit's going to pray in tongues. He's going to use you, but he's going to use your body to speak in tongues. He's not going to have this, this audible voice that comes out of you. That's, that's called possession. And if there's a deep voice or a weird voice that comes out of you, you need to come see me so we can do something different. Okay? It's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to use your voice and your tongue. And 
else says, it's great. Speak in tongues. I do it all the time. I do it more than any of you. He says, but listen, in the gathering, because we're talking about gatherings, right? You can't, you have to keep it in context. You have to remember what he said in, in chapter 11. And even in the very beginning of the book, the context is your meetings are harmful than they are good. That's the context. You're coming together, all of you are speaking in tongues, and no one's concerned about the unsaved. No one, the unsaved, don't, they don't know what you're saying. You don't even know what you're saying. You need an interpreter. You need a gift of interpretation to know what you, what's being said. He says, but no, you know what I want you to have? I want you to have prophecy. Now, most of us, we think, and we look at this word prophecy, and we think it's foretelling, like, like it's going to tell your future. That's not, that's not the prophecy that Paul's talk, talking about. Now, that happens in Scripture, but this is not it. What I am telling you, the prophecy that Paul's talking about, is he says, he says the prophecy, he, he, the, the answer to that question is this. Prophecy, is, it brings revelation. It brings knowledge. Out of verse 6, chapter 14, verse 6. Right? The prophecy or the word of instruction. So this is what I'd rather you, rather you have. This is what I'd rather you do when you gather together. What does that sound like? Revelation, knowledge. Instruction. What does that sound like? Sounds like a sermon to me. Sounds like Paul saying, listen, when you come together, let there be someone that's giving a word of revelation. Let there be someone that's giving a word of instruction. Let there be someone that's giving knowledge. Because that's more valuable than all of us speaking in tongues trying to edify ourselves. It is more valuable that, that the group of people that are gathering, especially the unbeliever, hear the scripture, get knowledge about Jesus Christ, get knowledge about the living God. It is more important that we get instruction for life and living, right? That's more important than all of us speaking in tongues. That's what he's saying. He says, now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will it be unless I bring some revelation, knowledge, prophecy, or a word of instruction? It's not going to do any good. It's not going to do any good. His, his whole point is this, is like, let's function in the spiritual gifts. Let's do it. But let's not do it at the expense of not making sense to the world. Because I'd rather you, I'd rather you have revelation. Revelation, it, it requires your, your thought process. I'd rather you have knowledge. Well, that requires your reasoning, your, your logic. I'd rather you have instruction. Again, that's requiring, he's dealing with the mental capacity of every person hearing a message that they can relate to. Does this make sense? Should you speak in tongues? Absolutely. It's a spiritual gift. You, you should. It's a spiritual gift. Should you eager these gifts? Absolutely. That's what Paul says. But what's most important when we gather together? What's most important is that there's revelation. There's knowledge. There's prophecy. There's, there's, there's instruction. That's most important. Let's function in the gifts. Let's be Pentecostal. 
Let's believe that this is what God has for us. But when we come together, we come together with the unified thought that we're not just gathering for ourselves, but we're gathering for the unbeliever. And it's our job. It's our job to make sure that our conduct, our conduct is appropriate. Mom, we, growing up in, in, in the 80s, you, um, you had guests come over. Guests just came over. Like, it's not a thing today, right? You go knock on someone's door, it's like very weird, right? You show up at someone's house, it's like a weird thing. Like you didn't call. You didn't, you know. And, and back then it was a little bit more friendly. Your neighbors would show up, they'd come over, come hang out. But how, how many of you know what was the first response when guests came over. What was the first response? Like, pick up. Clean everything up. Like, the whole house didn't have to be clean, but the living room better look good. Right? The living room and the bathroom. Like, those are the two rooms. Like, they just, they just need to be spotless. And I'm not, I'm not saying that the, the behind the house should look horrible. But you get my point. That when we have guests... We, we, we need to pick up. We need to welcome them. We need, we need not be strangers. We need, we need to function in the spiritual gifts so that they know that God's presence is among us. All right, that's all I know. Man, I, I took an hour to do that. I thought I was going to take 30 minutes. I really did. I don't have the spiritual gift of, of, of shortness. I, I, I really don't. Um, Y'all want to stand with me? I, I, I want us to, I want us to be liberated. And this is what I mean by that. Just because Paul's bringing order to service, that doesn't mean that, that we, we're just going to be aloof and stoic it does not mean that at all because we're still emotional people we're emotional people we're, we're created with emotions and and there's nothing wrong in a in a service for us to show that emotion to god god loves it he loves it he inhabits the praise of people his people how many of you know praise is an emotion praise is a it's, it's an action. It's a verb. It's I'm gonna I'm gonna engage my members so that I can live lift a shout to God. And and there's nothing wrong with that. We are we are a church that will embrace the emotional. We will embrace the emotional. You want to shout, shout. You want to whistle, whistle. You want to dance, dance. But don't do it and say that it's the spirit doing it. That's where we got in trouble in the 80s and 90s. It's like we did all kinds of crazy stuff. And we're like, that's the Holy Spirit. No, that wasn't the Holy Spirit. That was you. That was you. That's you being emotional. And that's okay. Be emotional for God. Get, get loud. Shout. Whatever you need to do. Do as David did. Dance before the Lord. If you need to dance, dance before the Lord. You know, it, it, it just don't, don't put it under the umbrella of that's what the spirit made me do. No. 
because God will inhabit that praise. We can be, we can be in control of ourselves and still be emotional. We can. You do it every Sunday when football season starts, right? Some root for a team that brings joy and you shout. And some, you just root for a team that brings tears and heartache. Either way, you're emotional, right? I didn't say it. You thought I was going to make fun of them, but I didn't make fun of them. <laughs> I didn't have to anymore. You already knew who I was talking about. <laughs> See, we're laughing. That's emotional, and that's okay. It's okay to do that, and God loves that. But, but, but don't say, that the Spirit made me do it. You know what the Spirit made you do? The Spirit made you love. As the Spirit does. The Spirit gives you healing and it gives you words of wisdom and knowledge and all these things, right? It's okay to be emotional in church. Man, I, I, I do it. I, there are times when I just, I want to let loose and praise and I want to worship. I, I, I don't care who's in the room. I just, I just praise and worship God. You can join or you can't join. It's, that's all up to you. You worship God how you want to worship God. That's the beauty of diversity, isn't it? And that's what Paul's saying. If you want to watch me run and shout and scream and dance and, and, and do these emotional things, don't judge me. Let me be different. Let me be me. And I won't judge you when you fold your arms and you don't sing songs and you stand there like a bump on a log and you just, you just want to just, like, oh, I wish that area, these people are so, they're so extra. You know, I won't judge you. That's okay. That's the diversity of it. 